This podcast is brought to you by Josh and Pat's MTG Bazaar. Please go and check them out on Facebook. If you're Australian, New Zealand, or Malaysia, they're a great auction site for you. Also, this podcast is brought to you by PureMTGO.com. They have some of the best magic articles in the world. And I'm not just saying that because I write for them, but pretty much because I write for them. So go check them out. Alright, so we are back. Commander Crunch, episode 5. You, episode you don't five. have a strange name for this one? No, not yet. I'll, I'll, I'll ad hoc it later, I think. But um, yeah, welcome for, welcome to another week of uh, talking about tasty Commander content um, served up on the regular. I thought this week we'd take a break from um, from having guests because that's been the name of the game for the last four episodes and it's been awesome. But I've forgotten what it's like just to talk to you, Chesh. And, uh, I know, <laughs> just to have some like some quiet time, just the two of us. A bit of a palate cleanser. Um, so I mean, romantic considering we're in like a stage four lockdown, which is probably what this episode should be called. I was about to make that comparison, actually. <laughs> Get used to spending a lot of time by ourselves, uh, which, I mean, warranted. We've both been very used to doing anyway, and that's why we connect on the interwebs. But, um, yeah, like go Victoria uh, in Australia. We've, um, mm. you know, hopefully we'll manage this, and but... Uh, you know, scary times, I guess, but see how we go. Um, we're see, not in the United is, States, so, yeah. This is what happens when you put restrictions in place that aren't restrictive enough and trust that the human race can do the right thing instead of, you yeah. know, them being absolutely selfish assholes. Jason said it the other week. It's like people generally can't be trusted when it comes to things like that. So People just can't be know, trusted. It's really hard. It's like... People are shit. Mm. <laughs> like we, it, we know this. I've got 42 years of experience on this world that says people are shit. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's something to accept, uh, but best find ways to work with. And, I mean, I'd like to say without being a full moron and obnoxious person, like try and spread the good word without being, you know, too soapboxy or whatever. But basically people are always going to do things uh, that, aren't in the best interests of everyone else and, and will look for themselves primarily. And, you know, we've kind of seen a lot of that, that it feels like we're doing time for other people, you know, when you do the right thing for months and then inevitably anyway, there's still financial work pressures, which we've talked about the last couple of weeks mm. in a weird way, but we won't get into that now. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, like I say, I, it doesn't actually change much of any behaviour for me, like, because I've been overly cautious anyway and we spend our time at home and only leave the house when we need to, that kind of thing. But we'll see in the next few weeks how uh, Victoria fares. So, um, yeah, remind me in six weeks basically. So hopefully people can get on board. Anyway, it's been nice to, I mean, I didn't want to get too far into this, but uh, we live in a country town and even before it's been mandated, half the town at least have been wearing masks already because I've noticed the difference between uh, being that people out in a place like this generally are more connected with everyone community-wise and care about their town because they know who it affects. And it's and it, it was really interesting to see, whereas in a city it's generally like anonymity, you know, like you just don't know that many people in a weird way or it's just too big. I don't know. That's just my, my theory that it's like, oh, it's easy to go, oh, it doesn't affect me or it doesn't affect others, but it does. But when it's fewer people around you, like, oh, wow, I know exactly who that affects. So. Exactly. And it's, it's easy for us in the in the city side of things to like pay out on people who are out in rural but when people <laughs> in rural are actually doing the right 
fucking thing. Yeah, and, and I was we're like, the ones I was being stoked. Like shy sipping latte morons. Like, oh, we still yeah. sip lattes like morons. Oh yeah, <laughs> everyone's still having their bloody you know coffee on a Sunday. Yeah. Come on. Exactly. No, um, we, they say Kyneton's a north, north, north side, uh, north type place. Like, it's pretty hipster. It's great, mm. but we are in in real- anyway. So, uh, hi, I'm Chesh from <laughs> Chesh Here Plays Games. We digress. This is my as friend Sam from hey Past the Jam Sam. <laughs> yep, that's my name. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, we're going to get into this week a topic that Chesh and I are going to be talking about mainly is uh, kind of just touching on uh, a set of five videos that Chesh has just put out uh, sponsored by Wizards. Was that a train in the background? That was a train in the background. Cool. Um, I've got one of them too. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, five videos that have been released, um, sponsored by Wizards, so thanks Wizards for Lizards of the Coast, uh, Wizards for the Decks, um, uh, and and kind of sending them out to Chesh and allowing him to uh, put to the put these together as upgrade paths, if you will, from the, the pre-con that, um, you know, you're getting for your, what is it, $50, $60 RRP in Australia? Uh, we can't. We can't oh, do that. No, that's okay. I was going to say. But, um, no, the actual... Like, I'll, I'll explain the, for everyone at home because I don't want you to cut that. I actually want to discuss this a little the, bit as well. I was saying the um, debt cost, but I, I know what you mean about the second oh, market. Oh, right. But. Yes. Yeah, 50 to $60. So, initially, these videos, um, as agreed to by the Wizards representative, were a $50 upgrade. Uh, once I started putting out the videos, I was asked to edit all of the videos and the thumbnails to take out the cost analysis on the upgrades. Uh, I find that, I personally find that a bit strange, but they call the shots when they sponsor the video. I don't get paid, they send me a free deck. That's what the sponsorship is. Um, And I will absolutely toe that line 100% all the time. Mm. But I feel the need to be transparent. Um, I can't put that in the description of the video because I know that they'll have an issue with it, but I'm sure they won't have any issue with me discussing on the podcast that they basically turned around and said, hey, we love the videos, however, mm. can you remove the the cost analysis and maybe just put in something about trading for the cards because we don't want to recognize that secondary market in these videos. Which is a thing we've touched on for ages, exactly. Exactly. It's, yeah, and, and, and then look, it it's, it's fine. It's going to happen. At the time, I was a little annoyed, <laughs> let's say, mm. because that's not – the agreement I came to when I started writing all of these. Um, And of course, due to COVID, these decks were massively delayed, which means the videos were also massively delayed because I had to do them after work in like a two week period, basically from when I received the decks to when I was putting out the videos. Um, So it was under a time crunch. So I was going to say that's life in crunch, isn't it? Exactly. Having to go back and re-edit those videos when they've already been uploaded to YouTube means you have to use the YouTube editor. The YouTube editor is a piece of shit. It is Ooh. the worst editor ever. I hate it. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to get that out of the way because that's my my bug to bear. No, that's um, fair. Yeah, fair enough. And I saw that. I was like, oh, that's an, a bunch more work. And it's unfortunate, but, yeah, of course, things like that it, happen, it cut, cutting room floor, all that stuff. And, you know. Exactly. Um, especially and, and thematically the, it was about price initially, and it's like well, it kind of cuts out a lot of that. But This also harkens back to the, you know, technically speaking, being a freelancer, if you want to look at it that way, because you've received 
hashtag payment, which is the free decks, mm. uh, to do the work, right? So I'm happy to go and do whatever the client needs me to do. I would do the same with a pure MTGO article. I'd do the same if uh, somewhere like Card Kingdom, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hey, Card Kingdom, <laughs> you want me to do an article? Uh, if if I did an article for Card Kingdom and they asked me to change something, I'd absolutely do it. TCG player, it doesn't matter where it is. Mm. Like if, if your client comes back to you and says, I really fucking love this, but I need you to change this one thing. To you change it, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because man, in design we've got that. we've got a saying: it's the client is right, the client is always right, and and you know sometimes it's when they're not technically, you know, like you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not the best outcome, <laughs> but you have to do it. So, I've been working in customer service for twenty five years, and I can tell you right now, uh, I've never had a situation that I've dealt with where I've said the customer is right. But <laughs> you've grinned and buried. <laughs> but if you're a contractor, there is no right or wrong. It is mm. the point where the the person who has gotten you in on that contract has asked for a change. You do it regardless. Yeah, exactly. Unless it's to their detriment, and then you bring it up with them and say, "Hey, I can do this, but this is how it's going to go down if this happens." Yeah, or you know, like any perceived risk should be outlined to. Uh, the the signer basically to the person who is signing that work to you. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. uh, overall, I don't think it. Um, you know, I don't think it affected the quality of the videos. Uh, at the end, based on, I think you were able to steer the ship completely right on. But I mean, undertone anyway. Like budget was a, a factor initially. I think that's always inherently the part, of, like a, a factor in what me and, me and yourself do anyway. Exactly, and it's a good thing to always follow. As far as like I, I talked to Jason about um, Jason Old about the seventy five percent and how that has financial kind of connotations, being a bulk reformat initially, and it's that I just like to look at things that way anyway. I just don't. I find there's a there's a correlation between originality and finance in a way you know like yeah. finding the options that are that are kind of effective but kind of really awesome and nifty and finding them cheaper is is, is kind of they are related somewhat and I, I think it's really good to see you know at the end of it like you did still leave in the video like a big part of it's like don't include you don't need fetch lands like you just don't yeah you know, and then that's, you know, look like goodbye $35 if you want one of them in there. It's not really going to help you that much. So, yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had great mana bases that are just guild gates. Like it, it can happen. So I, I think the undertone of those anyway, you're still looking at, you know, options that are, uh, you know, kind of affordable, that kind of thing and attainable and, and, and not going too crazy. And especially that I think those ones are directed at, you could even say maybe, you know, sometimes more of a newer player, sometimes, you know, they don't have to be, but they're a perfect pathway for a newer player to go, hey, mm-hmm. here's your, your pre-con and then you've got a few tables you sit down at, you know, virtually at the moment, of course, but, you know, you want to kind of, you know, hang with the big big kids kind of thing. <laughs> Not really, but it's, I've seen pre-cons no, that's, compl- that's, completely. No, that's, that's pretty apt. Like uh, basically at the end of the day, the way that I look at it is it's an introductory product, right? Mm. So yes, you know, older, older, more established, enfranchised players are going to pick those up and they're going to upgrade them themselves. Um, the way that I attacked these five videos was going, all right, well, if I was a new player, what would I want to know? Like a new player isn't necessarily going to know the full list of Ikoria, what's in there. They're not going to know that those triomes exist. Yeah, these things we take for granted that we've, you know, we've, we've, I was going to make the joke, so this, we've sold our soul to magic and, you know, we, it's second nature <laughs> to spend every waking hour, like lo- looking at what cards are available and that kind of thing. And you just, you just do it, but you got to understand, like not everyone does that, you know? 
not everyone's like, oh, what, you know, I didn't even know that set came out. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, overall, it, it starts to make you look at, um, you know, and, and a few other things what we take for granted, like what is what is the anatomy of a pre-con? And usually I've always found them generally really, really good value. Um, as much as some people complain about lack of reprints some years and some years not, whatever, I just gen- generally seen that every year you buy a pre-con, a few years later all those cards are worth a lot more, you know. Like they're just always a great package of stuff even if you're not playing that specific deck. Um, just just stuff they're um, they're kind of releasing that year. Some you know sometimes a conduit for reprints, but just I used to buy every five, uh, every set of five or every set of four every year, and you know just generally be fine to add them to the commander collection. But you know newer players like you say, great, just pick one up. Go, I kind of like this, and I'm going to pivot it this way. And and that was how I got into my first ever commander deck with I bought the Merin one and um, kind of pivoted to go more Mazarek, which is a really interesting you know, take on looking at what the package of cards you received are, that they're a little bit untuned but still competent. They can still, you know, work at a table that's fine. Um, but then how to just, you know, focus that a little bit and where you end up at somewhere maybe, I kind of, hard, I find it really hard to put power levels on things, but maybe like a six or something. I don't know. Like you just want to be choosing your theme and kind of just doing it a little bit more uh, focused on what you kind of set out to do. Mm, exactly. So um, in, in that kind of regard, uh, again, the anatomy of the precon is often, it's usually, uh, it can be kind of a platform for new design space. So like a, a big theme of what you look at in the videos is kind of removing a couple of cycles that are, like appear in a few of the decks. Um, I can't remember what's the latest, the name of the latest one. Uh, is it the goad wait. one? There's, there's the enchantment. Uh, yeah, that's right. The enchantment cycle. Yeah, uh, impetuous cycle. Yeah. So there's, I feel like there's one of those or two of those a year. Whereas through the whole set of precons, you get they've they're kind of debuting these new cards that are not the most amazing in that deck or specifically synergistic. They just kind of appear, uh, and they'll work. They'll do something in your game, but they just kind of appear to be you know adding them to your commander collection, like a lot of the stuff in in these decks where. There's sometimes like 50% of it that's just like, you know, there's just strictly better, there's better stuff to put in that not necessarily like crush your foes powerful, but there's just, you know, more suited, more focused things to replace them with. So you can you can cut out the the, the broad average stuff and, um, you know, add that to your collection and just replace it with more focused exactly. stuff. Exactly. So like with these decks, there was a couple of cards like that. So the impetuous cycle, obviously, you know, to goad creatures is pretty cool, but I mean, I, I didn't feel like it suited any of the decks. No. So I took it out of all the decks. And say what you will about combat you- these days, you know, and in, in the, the way we play commander, but, you know. Well, and that's the thing, like combat's still in there, you know. Yep. Some of these decks still attack to the face, but when it comes down to it, like enchanting somebody else's creatures so it attacks somebody else just wasn't a priority in any of these decks. Yeah, exactly. There was no real payoff other than these impetuous cards. There's no, like, curses or anything like that that's tied to impetuous cycle mm. uh, that were in the precons, like the ones from, I think, last year or the year before where we had, like, Curse of Opulence and stuff like that. I was going to bring um, that one up, actually, and that, that was a really – that was a cool cycle again. Um, one of them in particular was the one I think I use in the most decks, which is the red one, Curse of, uh, yeah, Curse of Opulence. Yeah. Uh, some, sometimes <laughs> the others p- appear, but, you know, again, add them to your commander set and, you know, play with them later or see if they pop exactly. up and suit a deck really kind of specifically. 
uh the one the one other card among all of the decks well i guess two cards really among all the decks that i was pulling out one of them was uh bonders ornament oh um, the the mana rock that became the meme <laughs> because it's yeah it was a meme it was a meme in all of my uh all of my videos because it's just not good it's just like uh people just like looking at it going oh is this is this card good for everyone it's like this card is not good for anyone mm. so bonders ornaments like three colors tap to add one color of any one manner of any color to your mana pool a standard three and mana tap rock. it yeah each player who controls a permanent named bonders ornament draws a card now this does have a place in an artifact a certain artifact deck that mm. replicates it right because if you've got mechanized production and you're making copies of this you could draw a lot of cards yeah true true I was going to say, like, the, my first thought was, like, maybe it goes in a deck that really has some trouble drawing cards, basically. You've got that almost like I play, I have played, uh, played Arch of Arazka from time to time, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the land that goes, maybe if you just really need to, it's five mana on your land to draw a card. And, you know, but the way I also look at it now is, like, yeah, three, three mana, uh, mana rock that makes any color is fairly standard, but to the point of it's just a manolith these days. And to the point that I really try and push it down to two wherever possible for my mana rocks. Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's just a bit inefficient. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it won't have a home, but yeah, the general gist was all five of those decks that you, re- you removed it out straight away. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, pretty much. And the same <laughs> with the uh, Temple of the False God. Oh, you hate that card. <laughs> I hate that card. Now, I'm guilty of playing that card sometimes. And and look, it's not it's not terrible in like landfall decks and stuff like that mm. where you're ramping into lands. Um, but I mean, during the early turns, if you get this, you may as well just have like six cards instead of seven cards in your hand. So this land is tapped to add two uh, colorless mana to your mana pool. Uh, I should say two. Diamond mana or, or waste mana, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, activate this ability only if you control five or more lands. Yep. There's, there's fewer feel bads, uh, like worse than, you know, one land and a temple of the false god, and you've kind of, for some reason, kept that, and then you don't see another land. You're like, oh no. You just, I just played you a land that did nothing. Realize, yeah. Right? You just didn't realize. You kept the swamp in that. You're playing a, a, a Sultai deck. Uh, not a salt eye deck, a, a oh, blue black deck. Damn Demir. it. <laughs> Thank you. You're playing what a Demir deck. A long day. You've got one of your colors. You keep drawing swamps because you're like, it'll be bright. I'll draw into that island. You never draw into that island. It's now turn eight. You have all the swamps. You know what? You also drew uh, Yorgmoths. So now you have Yorgmoths out in play as well. So you've got your tomb and you've got your now black mana producing land that taps for a single black because it's now a swamp in addition to its like, you know, being Temple of the Fall god <laughs> and you still don't have your blue mana edge 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 case <laughs> yeah um yeah and these, this is in a tricolor deck why? why oh yeah exactly and i think that's what you need to look at it's like does this yeah you know how reliably so, do you need your mana and that's it like you want to be there's another common theme really like a good reason to uh, I know Commander can be a casual format. You want to hone stuff to basically be involved in the game is the way I like to put it. Like rather than it's not, you're not maxing everything to absolutely just kick everyone off the table. You want to be in the game and feeling when you're not, when you're not in the game, 
and you're not interacting with anyone and you're just too far behind, that's not fun. Like that is not fun at all. Exactly. I just want to compare. So, <laughs> so it, it's one of those points where those were pretty much the main takeouts from every deck that shared a theme amongst all the decks and felt like it was very much a meme because it's just mm. like these, <laughs> First these <one> to go. <laughs> cards are, are just not great in these decks. Um, the <laughs> they break temple every year. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Every year. Like there's there's an argument to be made that uh, maybe in the Arcane Maelstrom or the, uh, I want to say, Enhanced Evolution decks. Yeah. Temple of the False God can technically stay because both of them have suitable ramp packages included or can be included. And looking at those uh, X bells and stuff, you know, like in Enhanced Evolution, I was just thinking for sure. But um, exactly, yeah. I mean, again, like salt to suit, like salt and pepper to suit, and and, and to taste. Like it, I don't know, it's not saying always it's like a takeout, but most of the time it is. Mm. But in these decks, the the common thread here was taking out the shitty land and putting in one of the triums for Ikoria because oh, yeah. Ikoria colors, the tricolors suited every single one of these precons. Yeah, so they're, they're the it's figureheads. an easy trade to make. Yeah. Um, it was fun, actually. I was, I was running through all my Ikoria stuff I hadn't really touched um, since I opened it and what to put in the commander cube. And it was, you know, putting those those trilands was a lot of fun and then which companions as well. But I just, like, I forgot how many pieces we got from that set that, you know, it's just now solid commander pieces, even some of the uncommons, which is really cool. But um, it was it was a very solid uh, commander set. And I think for a while, so I, I mean, it's easy, easy to look at things. The, the first kind of instinct I had with a few cards were like, oh, it's a mutate card. Doesn't that have to be in a mutate deck? You know, like your, your mind does the OCD kind of flip where it's like, oh, that just belongs in where it's most synergistic. I'm like, no, not really. Like gem reason can go in a, a deck where you can just bolt it onto a creature and it, it does the thing that a, um, I mean, as long as you're not messing with ETBs, it does what a Reclamation Sage is doing, you know. But sometimes yeah. you get a 4-4 Reach Trample out of it, you know, which is kind of fun for the same manner. So, you know, like things like that, that you're like, it doesn't have to be in the Mutate deck uh, or it doesn't have to be exactly. in the, you know, that flashy kind of key, um, you know, the new keyword or mechanic deck, you know. it can. Mm. There's just a lot of cool stuff. And the other thing with Ikoria was the, the Trilance, the Triomes, came out in gorgeous and i'm looking at a rogerin triome right oh, now it's yeah. foil um this gorgeous showcase art it's like a full extended art and if you foil. get them in foil like i was lucky enough to do Ooh. like i got two rogerin triomes out of the one pre-release kit one of them was foil and i tell you they are stunning yeah they're absolutely I, stunting i feel like there'll be i haven't checked the prices in the last you know few weeks or whatever but i imagine they'll be at, like roughly their floor at the moment we've had so much re- like con- uh, product release of especially like alt arts and things like that that i've found that they're going to take some time to bounce back and you know become desirable and the prices go back up but i've seen you know when we talk about core um you know core 19 or sorry core 20 core 21 i don't even know which one we're up to latest course at 21 and picking up solemn simulacrums that are foil and full art and they're like you know a couple of bucks you're like you're, yeah you're joking bucks. yeah and so i think the, the triomes will serve you for years because uh we kind of touched on them but you know you're talking about a triland you'd usually put in for in your deck if you're running at least three colors that you, you've got the ones from Khans, that kind of thing you know, those, those ones usually just go there because they make three colours. These ones do. They've got the, the land types on them, so you can fetch for them if you want to. Uh, and also they've got cycling just for gravy, you know, for 
three mana just in, in your already got enough lands to do whatever you want. You can cycle them away. So they're amazing, and I think they're quite cheap right now. That you know, and, and cheaper than people thought they were going to be too. So I think uh, the the basic normal art is about seven dollars between five and seven dollars, depending on the color the color mm. mix. Um, the regular full art non foil is about double that. Uh, and the foil ones are in the 50 to 70 range. Oh, really? I didn't know foils were yeah, that much. Yeah, pretty yeah. expensive. So we'll see what um, happens anyway, but, um, you know, may go up or down. But I, I just think they're probably at their low at the moment. So, um, yeah, exactly. pick up the full arts. Cool, cool. So should even say what the, the main or, like, get into the actual um, the nitty-gritty of the decks and, not like, your general opinions of them and, like, interesting mm-hmm. discoveries that you found. Um, but thought first of all I'd, I'd run through i mean there's five decks of course and and as cheshko alluded to they they align with a certain wedge i guess or the main color themes of icoria the set because this year they're doing the whole commander set with aligned with that set uh you know one of the main kind of core sets of the year um i guess you call it a core set you know, yeah, main set, you know what I mean, like main, main, set. main booster box set type thing so icoria was very much the uh, the one this year that was, I guess, a showcase. But I mean, Zendikar does. It, will that follow the same thing? Like, will we have uh, commander decks for Zendikar? We don't. We don't know. No, that's okay. But uh, I'm, so I was going to say, I believe that there was supposed to be, but I feel like that's I too many commander re- releases a year. Like three. I, I just don't know. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Who knows? We'll see. And I mean, Wild World and all that. But um, yeah, it, it seems like Icoria was the set pinned this year to have. Uh, a commander set that comes out with it, um, which usually we only get one whole commander cycle a year. Now it's two kind of thing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's it was, you know, uh, I, at that point I think I was like, oh, this is a little bit too much coming out, but, you know, won't get into that. But I think overall they're really cool decks and, and you've kind of um, opened my eyes to what each one's doing and then also where we're going with it, which is really nice to, you know, look at that pathway. Um, but we'll run through each of them individually kind of, um, just broadly, I guess, but watch the video if, if uh, any of them kind of, um, you know, uh, pique your attention. But uh, the first of all, uh, first of all, off the, off the rank, um, the symbiotic swarm was the Absan one. So we've got <laughs> general gist was you got my buggo captain dude. Um, what's his name? The Carthrill. That's his name. Yep. On, on the box, uh, doing a bunch of new design space stuff, which is really cool. And talking about keyword counters, um, you call this one. Um, Know, affectionately keyword soup you love this one <laughs> yeah pretty much because i mean that's that's what it is you you so the the deck itself once you look at what the deck does you pull it apart and you kind of go all right well there's three different well in this case four different face commanders because one's a partner bear but yeah. basically three different commanders for the deck which one of them suits the main theme of the deck the most and it, yeah the, and it's, the face card was actually correct and it's good um, to not always assume it's going to be as you as we find out in some of the others or it can just be literally taste like you just might want to play the other one like as in i said before i remember buying Merin, and Merin was just strictly better than anything like Merin's an amazing commander to this day like so powerful but i was just i love Mazarek, and maybe it's because mm. i love insects and i same deal here I'd usually try and find the um, the co-captain because it's a bit more of the hipster choice, I guess. But this one, <laughs> Catherall, is amazing. Like, nightmare it, insect. It <laughs> and look, uh, originally I had my doubts about this deck. Um, so I should explain that Catherall Aspect Warper is a nightmare insect legendary creature 
for two colors, a white, a black, and a green. When Cathril Aspect Warfare enters the battlefield, put a flying counter on any creature you control if a creature in your graveyard has flying. Repeat this for first strike, double strike, death punch, hexproof, indestructible, lifelink, menace, reach, trample, and vigilance. I love how they pistol those. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> then put a plus one, plus one counter on Cathril for each counter put on a creature this way. Just in case, like, someone puts... So no one thinks they're getting banding out of this, so, you know, all horsemanship. Yeah, that's, that's what made me a little bit sad with this, because the first thing I looked at was banding. Yeah. I was, <laughs> was going to say, if it just said any keyword, you're like, oh, we're going to town now. But they literally... It's like the Odric thing, you know? And I, I love... Yeah. I've always loved Odric. Um, on a white one. It looks like Sean Connery. And um, uh, the whole, you know, if, if one of your dudes has this... They all get it basically, and and this is just yeah. a really interesting way to do it, and opens up to different colors too. The other thing with this is um, the design is clearly to get around things like, well, what if I have a couple of defenders in my deck and they just happen to land in my discard pile, and I don't want to give defender counters to a creature <laughs> that can now not attack and it has double strike. So yeah. it's it's very clear to me that they absolutely carved this particular ability from you know certain particular uh, ideals to be able to make it upgradable really easily and mm. not have it confusing to a new player. Yeah, Because, totally. I mean, being keyword soup in itself is fairly confusing. Mm. What I've seen anyway, it's like, you know, it's just then becomes a fun collectible though. Like you go, well, where's all these cards with all the, all the keywords I can possibly find and then find ways to get them to, into the yard and just have some really fun combat steps. Exactly. Cool, cool. So, did you you enjoy this one? Um, you know everything in it. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> here's the thing. Uh, initially, when I played this deck without upgrades, I th- I felt it was extremely slow. Yeah. Uh, it had no way really to get stuff into my discard pile. I was throwing creatures at people, and they were just letting them through because <laughs> they were like, well, I'm not going to block that. <laughs> like, I'm just going to let it through because if it goes to your discard pile, like to your graveyard, then you get extra like bonuses. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, so that was really sad. And then I was like, well, maybe we could use some sacrifice stuff to like play a creature and then sacrifice it and then play Catherine later. And then I was like, well, that's just a waste of resources. Mm. Like, there's a couple of spells that are in black where it's, like, sacrifice a creature and. But I was like, that's just not good enough because you're still having to cast the creature and spend that mana and then spend extra mana to kill that creature so that when Cathril comes in, Cathril can get some extra plus one, plus one counters. Um, So, no, originally I didn't like this deck. But once I upgraded this deck... (laughs) <laughs> it's gross <laughs> and and it was just such an easy upgrade to do so to get into like quickly what we did with the upgrade we basically pulled out a whole bunch of stuff like rebel arc that we just didn't feel was appropriate for the deck. cool commander card but just not optimized you know for this just not great at this deck no exactly first. uh then i chucked in a uh a, what i like to call a discard or a graveyard finder package um I love so this. you're <laughs> you're entombed, you're buried alive, you're grave, grave breaker lania, um, so that you can chuck creatures into your discard pile. And then I also ran a reanimation package so that if Cathril dies, you can chuck Cathril into the bin and reanimate Cathril, which is 
nuts. Really? Because then you're giving all those bonuses to yet another creature that then picks up all of, like, hexproof, indestructible, etc. And it's like, um, yeah, you thought you had me, but (laughs) I let my commander die, and now you've got double trouble. Son, you done fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, I love some of these ones that um, they were probably previously a lot more expensive. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I touched on this before, but like there's some really nice cards that you know, thankfully the last few sets have allowed us to get our hands on like fairly, you know, cost effectively. I won't, and again, we don't need to get into that too much, but it's just it's more that it's, it, they're not unachievable cards anymore. Which is, I mean, even Dread Return was like you know, it's a few bucks, or whatever, but. You, know, you love Buried Alive, but then we're talking like reanimate, you know, like, you know, uh, under $10 essentially, but it's really powerful. I love it. And, you know, you've exactly. got, um, what is it, like Entomb and also Gravebreaker Lamia, uh, that type of thing where we talked about the other week that you can have your tutors without looking for your infinite combo you do every time, you know, like tutors for a toolbox makes so much more sense, you know, I mean, exactly. Make, make a lot of sense that, that not everything has to be, you know, black and white night and day that, you know, when you're tutoring, you're looking for, um, you know, something really broken. It's like, no, it can just be the right tool for the job, you know, and that's yeah, a really good way to do it. just toolboxing basically. And it just smooths like, out the way you play. Exactly. Um, especially with this particular deck, like this deck, ran yeah not great before yeah but like just such a, a simple little upgrade makes it hum so well yeah exactly. um especially when i you know you chuck something like uh eerie ultimatum in there as well oh yeah and who doesn't love <laughs> casting a seven mana like pip yeah you know, thing like that that's that's awesome it's uh what are you um a garrick exactly so uh garrick's uh, one way board wipe basically or uh, a plague wind is that the other one like essentially but for everything which is pretty amazing yeah pretty says, much. <laughs> the absent ultimatum says return any oh no sorry i'm talking about the mardu one yeah you're, you're thinking the other one yeah yeah shut my yeah. mouth <laughs> this one's return any mouth. number of uh this is rise of the dark realms yeah this, this one's even better <laughs> sorry i like this even more return any number of permanent cards with different names with your uh from your graveyard to the battlefield sorry i should know i um again looking through no, like, i was I, sitting here thinking that you were like talking about board wipes i'm like but we we didn't do that one we no, had june blast and that doesn't quite do june blast doesn't no. do all that <laughs> it's cool I, I purposely like kept out a bunch of board wipes to be honest like some blast angel Yes, exactly. I want to turn my guys sideways. Yeah. Uh, I want to smash face, but I don't want to play a Sunblast Angel after combat and then kill my stuff. Yeah, and that one says, <laughs> yeah, destroy all tapped creatures, basically. So yeah, and that, yeah, that's a weird one that you want to probably play that before combat in a weird way, which and, and breaks cool the reprint, way you should. But again, felt like something yeah. that just this deck didn't need. Side like, note. Oh, go for it. I was just going to say, like, Eerie Ultimatum. Like mm. return any number of permanent cards with different names from your graveyard to the battlefield. That's that's double serving because remember that your enchantments are going to come back like your animate dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to come back and enchant something in your graveyard that's going to come back anyway, but that's neither here nor there. It's just a cool little... I love that. that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because, um, yeah, but you get like your dead bridge chant if that ends up there, your planeswalker, yeah. Exactly. And if you're a new player and you're playing against a, a, an established player with a mill deck, Imagine the look on their face when you drop this seven Pippa yeah. after they mill half your library and you go, oh, I'll put half of my library into play. Thank you very much. 
Bam. I, mean, I, I can't wait to play this one. And I mean, Rise of the Dark Realms is, I mean, that's going way up in price, but it's one of those cards I love to bits. That's like a nine mana version in mono black and it just gets creatures from everyone's graveyards. Uh, but usually if you're playing this, you're probably doing a lot of work to open up yours, you know, for the picking. Um, but yeah, love it to bits, that card. And, and, you know, it just it just leads the most wild board states and it's, it's, it's fewer greater feelings than pretty much just dumping your graveyard onto the battlefield and, you know, getting everything for an absurd mana reduction. So super cool. Exactly. Um, I was saying to you, so the Ikoria cards that are looked at for the Commander Cube, yeah, I had to include some of those um, ultimatums because, again, yeah, fewer better kind of payoffs for being really nice and focused and efficient with your mana too because if you can cast these on time or find a way to cheat them you feel like you've unlocked a puzzle um because they are so mana greedy it's you know two three two of colored mana you know mm-hmm. and they have amazing effects they're like game breaking effects and they're just you know that's what command is about for me a lot of the time you know just doing big wild amazing things so love that to bits um, but yeah, I really love it. Another thing I noted on this one, you're, you're running 40 lands too. Was that, I haven't looked at all of them. I oh know, 38, 36, 37, and 20. No, that's creatures. Uh, and there's lands on this one, 38. So that's a, that's an awesome one to touch on. That to, um, I kind of just wanted to go uh, looking at very broad, I guess, but like commander deck building templates as far as, you know, in general ideas, and we can touch on this more detail later on, but, you know, things to keep in mind. I know there's a few rules that I go by still kind of very loosely based on something like Jimmy Wong from the Command Zone said years ago, which was like looking at maybe 10 and 10 for your card draw and your, you know, ramp package, but then Mm -hmm. adjust to suit. But lands were always one, like I find 37's my base point out of your 100-card deck. Uh, and then you go up or down depending on what you need to do. And importantly, being very conscious of that, like when you need to go up in lands, when you need to go down in lands, because, of course, the extreme of that is a land deck, you know, like a, you know, uh, an Omnath or a, you know, Lord Windgrace or something. You're looking at, you can get up to, I've seen people run over 50 lands, you know, because you're just, you're going nuts with them and they're part of your game plan. Whereas sometimes a greedier commander, as far as, you know, you're running, you just need to hit your land drops essentially. Like you can run it up. And this one, of your five precons, I see you're running yet 40 on this one. There is. Uh, you'll also notice that even though this has green, we have a distinct lack mm. of ramp package. So that's the reason why I upped the land count because there's not a ramp package in there. I wanted to make sure I was hitting the right lands. Yeah. Um, Generally speaking, uh, this probably should actually be 38 rather than 40. Yeah. But I didn't want to be greedy with this particular deck um, because when I play a deck and it has green, I usually have ramp. Trying to keep the upgrades to around 10 meant that I wasn't going to rip out more of the deck to make a, a solid ramp package because you need at least six to, to eight ramp spells if you want a really significant and and solid ramp package to pretty much see them every time remember, you know exactly because you've got to remember out of like what uh 82 cards left in your deck when you draw your starting hand right um is that right 80 <laughs> 82 i was gonna say 92 yeah. but yeah i know you mean not 92 um <laughs> that you've got left in your deck when you draw your hand means that there is a percentage that you are going to see X card, right? Yes, and exactly. then if we say X type of card, 
in this case land, you've got a good percentage of hitting two to three lands in your opening hand, mm. which is what you want to have happen. So if we diversify and increase the amount of land that we've got, then the colors should be able to flow a little bit more freely uh, rather than being restricted to, oh, oh, shit, I'm running 36 lands and I just can't seem to draw that third land that I need. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, it's consistency for the sensible reasons, you know, and it's not it's not about finding the same combo piece every time or whatever that extreme. It's about your game plan can be wild and different every time. That's fine. But, again, we just want to make sure you're in the game. And that's the thing. One of the, the things I see, and it's so easy to instinctively feel like you could do it, but it's just such a, like, you really need to refrain. As, you know, if you're making your first few decks, it's just thinking you can take a land out just to put this new flashy card in and like I won't notice the difference but you do and you you will and you'll especially if you you activate that behavior once you'll do it more than once and so before you know it your commander deck's got 30 lands and you're wondering why you're not in any games so um exactly lands are boring but they're necessary they're, they're sensible but you know there's plenty of people I know that don't need to be told that but um you know it's, it's restraint you know you've, you've got to be sensible so yeah. <laughs> um, so with that, I mean, I I think it's a really cool deck, and it's also then this is still at a level that you could take this to the to the roof if you wanted to. You could even max this out even more. Like you say, you could you could really max out your ramp package if you really wanted to. Like, um, also it depends on what you're trying to hit. You know, if you've got some big things to hit, but you know, curve consideration these days anyway. I think we're we're reaching a point where. It's, you know, you, you need to be hitting your two and three and four drops, you know, and to be in a game and or, you know, um, getting kind of early plays in that makes a lot of difference. So um, that's another one too that, you know, uh, won't go fully crazy into it, but it's generally looking at your curve as, as, as you know, a broad thing and, and, you know, things like tapped out help. I sometimes just do it on the, on you know, on the kitchen table. Like you, you lay out all your cards generally in the curve make sure you're not just running all seven drops. And then, again, you're going to have a bad time, essentially, because you won't be able to play anything. Um, it's going to be hard to, to be in the game until they show up. So um, look exactly. at kind of favor the three or four, like, you know, the two, three or four drops and then, you know, really selectively choose your, your higher drops, essentially. So, um, but again, it's all it's all a shifting puzzle and, and the reason we keep coming back to commander deck building because it's such an amazing organic beast, um, you know, and just fun to keep going through. So um, keeping the, the uh, commander train going, which one do we want to touch on next, which would I have on my list? Timeless Wisdom. Jeskai Cycling is the second one you looked at. So, um I know you've got a nice history with cycling decks. You you made <laughs> Zur Tour de France uh, yeah, ages ago, which is a really cool one. I Slash think. Tokyo Drift. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And before <laughs> Ikoria and also this Commander set, um, we were kind of just putting a lot of cycling pieces together as a bit of a meme. And it's still a, a cool deck and you can do some amazing things, but it was like we're kind of just using all the, the cards in the history that had cycling um, and, and just seeing what we could do. But now I think with the Ikoria package, cycling's legit. Like there's just so much mm. to do with it and some really good payoffs too. But um, uh, we should explain too, cycling is, of course, when a card has the redundancy clause, I guess you call it, uh, where you have mm-hmm. you pay a piece of mana. Sometimes actually there's a few instances where you don't pay anything, like a um, or, th- or three life in, in uh, what's his name? Um, is it Cryptcast? No, that's the... Uh, Street Wraith, Street Wraith, sorry. The one one in Monogus or like Manila's Dredge. Um, But yeah, you pay three life essentially to cycle it. But basically you 
the cycling action goes, you pay usually a set of mana, one, two, three maybe, um, and you discard it. I think that it is actually discarding them, I believe, for things that care about that. Uh, and then you draw a card. Uh, or sometimes they might say basic land cycling, which is a really cool one that I, I often implore people to ch- like check out some cards that may not seem that impressive, but if they're a, they have a function that will actually help your game plan and then they have cycling on it, like decisions are powerful, you know, and being able to cycle things is a lot better a lot, a lot of the time than people realise. Um, but then how about when you put a whole deck together with this? So um, run us through some of uh, your thoughts when you're looking at the cycling deck. Sure. So the first one was looking at what the commanders do, because we already know this is a cycling deck, right? We mm. already know what this deck wants to do. It wants to pay mana to pitch cards and draw cards. That's the theme around the deck itself. Now, having a look at the commanders, though, Gavi Nestwarden just is fine, mm. but I wouldn't really consider Gavi to be great. And I'll explain. So this is a human shaman for two colors, a blue, a red, and a white. You may pay zero rather than pay the cycling cost uh, for the first card you cycle each turn. So you get a free Whenever cycle. you draw... Sorry? You get a free cycle. Yeah, free cycle. Every turn. However, this is where the problem is. When you draw your second card each turn, create a 2-2 red and white dinosaur cat creature token. Kind of also a token deck. Yeah. Which is great, but cycling decks, generally speaking, they're based around what you're drawing, why you're drawing it, and effects from drawing. Mm. Being able to create a small army potentially, as long as it's your turn, because that, that is what this is basically saying. Is oh, that because your second card each turn. Two cards. Yeah, exactly. So the way that I looked at it is, uh, during the early turns, you're going to cycle once on your turn to draw two cards, right? Because yep. you're going to draw one for the start of your turn, and then you're going to cycle a card to get a 2-2. Then you have to keep mana open and not play anything. And then on your opponent's turn, the first opponent, you need to cycle for free, and then you need to pay to cycle. You're probably going to, in the first couple of rounds once this is out, you're going to get one free cycle and one non-free cycle during an opponent's turn to create a 2-2. Then 12 players are going to have a turn and you're out of mana. Mm. That's unacceptable. <laughs> so there is Fluctuator in the deck, which is um, a two colors mana artifact from Urza's Saga. This is the one everyone specced on and then got hosed because they're like, and oh, got hosed, yeah. They, they announced um, a cycling deck and they're not going to print Fluctuator, I bet. And it's like they did. And it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, they did. Um, so Fluctuator allows you to just have cycling cost become zero. Yeah. Um, so you essentially just free cycle everything in your deck, right? Which is so much better than this commander. This commander has part of that ability, but this commander restricts you to once per turn. Yeah. And a lot um, of your stuff should be cycling for two on average anyway. Something's one, exactly. something's three. So, yeah. So as the turns get later, this is, the, this is a fine commander, but... It's not fine for what we want the deck to do unless we're building up a token army, which we clearly are not. No, and it's Um, like you're not really honing into that theme, you know. It's like what, does it make an army on the ground to help you stay alive longer maybe? But, like, you know, seagulls still hurt you. Exactly. (laughs) So we decided that uh, to rip this apart and go with the draw aspect and see what we can find from that. So that's where we came across... uh, 
Brolin and Shabraz. I love these guys. Sky Sharks, Sharkbird, and its rider. So, hence the name of, of Sky Sharks uh, for this deck. There's something really Dino um, Riders about this, but it's Shark It's rider. so Dino ro- yeah. Riders, it's not funny. So rad. Uh, so, this is three colors, a white and a blue for a legendary creature shark bird. It's a shark bird. They've really been, been messing with some creature types lately. <laughs> it's, it's a shark with, like, massive, horrible, jawsy jaws with massive teethy teeth yeah. and wings. It's a it is wacky version a of, um, do you remember street sharks as well? Oh, I do. Oh, yeah. I love street sharks. And they were just like yeah. humanoids with shark faces and just they will ripped. And it's like, yeah. Do you remember Biker Mice from Mars? Oh, I do. Absolutely. Do you remember <laughs> the- size it a little bit to that. Yeah, totally, totally. And do you remember the um, the serial uh, promotion they had where, and I think I think a kid from my school got it, whereas if you open up your rice bubbles and they were, you know, um, themed with Biker Mice from Mars and they had slime in them, not oh, only yeah. did it, it could just be your, you know, uh, your product went off, <laughs> but you, you won some absurd amount of like biker mice from Mars product or something. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, the 90s. <laughs> Love it. So. But, yeah, so this, Shabraz. This bird shark. <laughs> Whenever you draw a card, put a plus one, plus one counter on Shabraz, and you gain a life. So not only does this shark get bigger so you can try and knock somebody out with commander damage, um, it also nets you one life every time you cycle. Mm. Um, which is actually incredibly helpful. It's actually whenever you draw a card, which is amazing. Mm. Uh, for one hybrid Azorius, so one white slash blue, target human gains flying. We don't care about that at all. But it can boost that his doesn't matter. if he wants to. Yeah. So this is just a, a sky shark that gets bigger and is going to give your opponent nightmares. Um, the partner is a human shaman called Brolin, a sky shark rider. We brawl. Um so, Brolin is whenever you discard a card, perfect to cycling, put a yep. plus one, plus one counter on Brolin, and it deals one damage to each opponent. Now, the thing I want to hear here is, what does a cycling deck want to do, and what does it do? It draws cards, it discards cards. So, we need to focus around cards that when we draw it, it has an ability, when we discard it, it has an ability. So, with this, whenever we discard a card, we deal one damage to each opponent, which is great. Whenever we draw a card, we put a plus one, plus one counter and gain a life. So both our partners are getting massive. Um, the Sky Shark can give your Brolin flying, uh, and Brolin can, can give your Sky Shark trample. So just best your parts. Sky Shark is always going to hit. Yeah. Commander it's damage will get in, trample. Range, get in range for a kill very quickly, actually. Very quickly. It's- especially if you're cycling for zero with a fluctuator. Mm. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it's not my place to uh, suggest these because you already made the upgrade path. But again, who's not saying we can push it further? If you ever want to, like, just jump into this deck and have some fun. But I just saw that anything I see that does damage to opponents, um, is there your, is it a Fidian Eye or like a Curiosity type deal? Like, to, yeah, yeah. To chuck, I mean, that's a possibility to chuck on Brawlin and like you're drawing three cards then and just going to Town Town. But the thing you have to remember is it's whenever you, I think Curiosity is whenever it deals damage to a player. Yes. You draw a card. Yes but you're not then discarding extra cards. Oh, no, no. So you've got to have... So yeah, exactly. So it's more you've like... You've got to have an outlet. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. 
Um, uh, now, people will recognize that surprisingly, even though that this is one of my favorite color combinations, red, white, and blue. Oh, yeah. Uh, this doesn't actually have a psychic corrosion in the deck because this deck isn't about milling out our opponents as a side quest. Um, there just wasn't space to put that package in. See, you have put one of your pet cards in there and it has to go in there. And it does make sense, but approach with the second side. <laughs> I have, yeah. because if you're playing cycling, you have to play approach. It is the fucking wall. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, if you look at this deck, like it has a copy of Windfall. Um, let's see. Uh, obviously, we put in approach because that's hilarious. Yeah, and you're drawing um, enough cards to like usually cycle around and reach it anyway. So, you know. Exactly. Win for uh, win with panache. What the deck is doing? Where is it? I think there's a card missing in this list. Could have Shark Typhoon in there. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, of course, because you know it wasn't in the deck originally, so I could have put it in there. There's a little. Um, there's a subtle undertone of weather patterns too. We've got Lightning Rift. We've got Ominous Seas. We've got Shark Typhoon. <laughs> we've got Unpredictable Cyclone. You know, Astral Drift. I'm I guess. Surprised because nobody else has picked that up. That, I love it. it. It was maybe it's just the, the cycling cards have that theme in a way. Because well, I mean, yeah. that's the way it feels. It feels like when you're going off of the cycling deck, you're just you know, it's not necessarily playing with what's on the board. It's what's in your hand, mm-hmm. which feels really cool and alternative. And you know, there's just a lot of wacky stuff going on that is really hard to predict if you're an opponent. You're like, uh, I don't know what I could be doing next turn. Exactly. Um, so it, it's funny that you should mention that because. This this absolutely was supposed to be like a shark tornado type deck. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, how many sharks are there? Got a, like, mm. Yeah. So I put in this little under theme that I didn't think anyone would notice that's all about like weather pattern basically. Because yeah, I, I was like, I want it to feel like what it is, which is it is a disaster movie. That's what yes, this, yeah, this yeah. deck actually is. Um, I'm so one of the things feeling that, some undertones of like wizards have printed a few cards to kind of add to this because I, I, I feel like someone's just a massive shark nodo fan. I mean, it's Shark Typhoon is that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, So Psychosis Crawler is one of the things that I looked at first in this deck uh, because I was like, exactly. Uh, So power and toughness equal to the number of cards in your hand. Don't care about that. Whenever you draw a card, each opponent loses one life. And that's what we care about. So (laughs) we wanted to focus the deck entirely around draw and a little bit of, like, if I discard a card, what happens to it? Mm. But mostly if I draw a card, what can I do that's really cool? Um, now, a lot of a lot of other content creators, I think, including Command Zone, were taking out Zenith Flare, just going, hey, it's I not saw, I really just saw that. Enough. I hovered over that because I was thinking, Icoria Limited, all you ever want to do in a cycling deck is just zip into Zenith a Zenith Flare. Zenith people do yeah. for death. Yeah. I kept it in here because I think it, it gives the deck a little bit of extra fantastic reach. Yes, exactly. And right? just, like, so flare is, to finish, you know, like, literally. Yeah, <laughs> you'll notice that everyone else is using Gavni as their commander. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that because I want to end the game mm. a little quicker if I can. So if I hit somebody with a Sky Shark and then I burn them to the face to get them out of the game because they're a threat. I think it's more like interactive, isn't it? Speaking, exactly. I've got this massive flyer with a heap of plus one, plus one counters. It's a commander. It's dealing a lot of damage. And if it doesn't get there to deal all the commander damage, well, we can probably just Xenoflare somebody's face off. Yeah. You know, especially with the amount of like, incidental burn from drawing and discarding cards so it made sense to leave the flare in for that extra reach to just melt the face of that opponent that's just the most risky person at the table i really like this build because yeah like you say i think everyone just assumed gavi was the natural choice but i think 
choosing a payoff where it's not about the reduction, it's about the you can get the reduction. I mean, Gavi's still in the deck, you know, and, and uh, the other one, what was the artifact called? It fluctuated still in the deck, of course. Yep. Having a payoff that is more immediate and accessible to you will, you know, naturally expedite the game a bit more. And like you're, you're kind of, you're being a bit more interactive. And it's not the Jeskai cycling where some, you're just playing solitaire. Like, no, you're messing with stuff and you're doing damage and throwing it around the place. And, and I think that's a lot more fun. And, you know, kudos for seeing that the, the, the partners actually made a lot of sense for fun play. And, you know, that's where, I mean, Commander is still whatever you make it and you know self-expression and creativity are totally the name of the game still you know and um i mean if that means something to you and and this is the type of thing i, I really respect i love it so nice yeah. one dude i mean at the end of the day um you you play commander f- because you want to have fun yes. if you're not if you're playing to win and you want like a fully serious sick like cycling deck you're not going to get it. Like, it's, it's good. <laughs> exactly. It's really good. It's going to get old real like, quick, you know? Like, yeah. Exactly. And if you just want to win, go and play CDH. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Like, find a group and go and play CDH. Yeah. But, like, this deck was based around having fun expressing what the deck feels like it's supposed to do, which is obviously just cycling yeah. uh, and building off that as far as we can. Love it. So, um, scooching forward, our next one on the list is none other than uh, the Salte Mutate deck. So, this is the one I was like, I would totally just look at and go, uh, it's Mutate. Like, it feels really boxed in and, like, this is just what you're meant to be doing, just slapping creatures on top of creatures and that kind of thing. So, it's called en- Enhanced Evolution and it is in, yes, Salte Colors. Um, now, pulling this one up now, I only just noticed watching your video today, Atremi's art is amazing. Atremi's looking... Oh. So good. Beneath their legs, underneath, with the derpiest great face, um, going, you're going to mutate on me? <laughs> As changing color. So, um, yeah, run us through uh, your, your Atremi budget upgrade. Oh, that's going to be an interesting one. <laughs> um, because uh, you're, you're, you're sort of right in the fact of, like, this was probably the easiest upgrade, right? Because you know it's mutate. Mm. And all you want to do is just mutate onto some really cool creatures uh, and try and kill people that way. Which I might add um, is better than I thought, like learning about mutate. And mutate's one of those weird com- like uh, mechanics that I remember first seeing it and going, uh, what? Okay, um, it's kind of like auras but not. And then there's all these weird rule messing with rules essentially because it's one creature and what happens with flicker it, all that junk. But then it felt it felt a little parasitic, but it's best not to look at it that way, I guess. Like, yeah, I mean, this deck wants to jam all the mutate stuff together, but, you know, uh, you can throw some of these in other decks too. But, um, yeah, run us through. Exactly. What does a Tremie want to do? Well, a Tremie, so the, this is interesting because I think a Tremie is probably the coolest commander out of the bunch, to be honest. Interesting, really? Um, yeah. Would not I have really been my choice, but I love like, it, yeah. I, I want well, to hear Look, Calamax is a close second. Mm. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but Atremi was just the, like, okay, so Atremi the Ever Playful is a name that's been selected for this commander that is absolutely correct and apt for this commander, <laughs> right? When flavor so, and function blend together and you can feel, uh, you know, you feel what the card's setting out to do, like as if you're actually doing it, you know, is is a really massive flavor win if they ever pull that off, which I know some things do sometimes. You're, oh, I actually feel like I'm doing that. Exactly. So this is three colors, a black, a green, and a blue for a Nightmare Beast. It is Trample, and it is a 6-6. <laughs> it really doesn't like, look like already, a Nightmare. <laughs> already you're giving me, like, 
nightmares the fact that it's a 6-6 with trample that's my commander. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, true. uh, Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, return target creature card with mutate from your graveyard to your hand. Now, that's very specifically with mutate. Not any creature, only creatures with mutate. All right. So you can mutate this onto a creature for one colorless, one black, one green, and one blue. So a reduction of two mana, essentially. You, you've got four to jam this onto an existing creature or the other way around, as I've learned how hey, to take works. You know, you know what I like on turn four? Having a creature down on turn three and then being able to mutate onto it on turn four and having a 6-6 six, six trample mm. commander on turn four. With then an effect. Because, I mean... That, that being said, I think that's that's a big part of the play here, that like that's aggressively costed for sure. And then the effect caring so much about you mutate stuff in the yard and, and as I said, like the oh I was just thinking that the effect on face value doesn't seem that powerful. Like you know, you go oh it's not into the battlefield, you don't even get mutated for free and you just you just get back to your hand. It's like and, and I mean maybe I'm always looking at things like how do I break it and do it for free? You know, like and get your matter advantage that way. But this one to me, didn't seem that powerful, but I can really see, like you're saying, if you really just lean into this, you're going to outpace people. Yeah, and that's pretty much what the deck does. Um, there's no tricks here. There's no hidden, like, amazing <laughs> tech. It is quite literally, like, adding in things like the Gem Razor, because yep. when it mutates, it has a reach and trample, by the way, but when it mutates for two green and a colors, it kills, like, an artifact or enchantment from memory. Uh, gem Razor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Artifact and enchantment. Yeah, yes. that's what I was saying before. That that's a good include if you ever needed a, um, you know, if you're just including a um, reclamation sage in your deck just for the fact that it's doing that, um, and it's on a body, then consider gem razor. Like if it if it has a good target, like it's not a bad. Consider idea. both. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I left the rex sage in here for that reason. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also like dirge bat because it's also <laughs> the a dirge. creature that is flying and flash Love for three three. Uh, and when it comes into the battlefield, you, oh, great. Hang on. Uh, when you mutate it, yeah. When this creature mutates, destroy target creature or planeswalker yeah. an opponent controls. Importantly, they're this targeting is... a lot more planeswalker stuff now, which will pay off yeah. more than people think as far as, oh, there's a really annoying planeswalker on the board. No, you don't have to bludgeon it with multiple attackers until you can get it down to one thing. Like it's like, no, there's a lot of effects now that just inherently kill a planeswalker. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we chucked in things like the Boneyard Lurker and, and all the other mutate stuff that we could find, of course. I should say that um, with the mutate thing too, the Dirt Bat and a few other effects, that was the thing that I completely missed on with a lot of these. So the winner it mutates. So once it's yeah. on there and then it mutates again, hey, guess what? You get that trigger as well. And it's like, oh, <laughs> you're going to fail your deal. Do you want the bigger, you want the bigger grosser story here? Yeah. There's a copy of Spark Double in this deck. Oh, do you want to know how Spark Double works when it copies a stack creature that mutated? Oh, it gets it all. It gets everything. Ooh. It copies the whole stack and comes in with an additional plus one, plus one counter and isn't legendary if the permanent is legendary. <laughs> so this is, they're inventing stuff now that is so hard to track on board <laughs> as far as what happens then your Tremie goes or the Spark Double's just there in place. It's like, you know, remember we're, we're playing our game on the stream and it's like, well, I guess we write it down the dry erase <laughs> as I begin to pin a whole novel about what this creature is on my little like dry erase uh, token. It's, you know, the spark double has to become a copy of something so complex. It's amazing. Oh my God. This is yeah. excellent. Um, 
in one of the games I had, uh, I don't care. I think it was like a, a base Hydra with four plus one plus one counters, right? Mm. Uh, over the top of it, it had a Dirge Bat. <laughs> over the top of that was a Gem Razor. So it becomes Gem Razor with all of the abilities and all of the plus one plus one counters. So it's an eight, eight reach trample. Then I spark doubled it. Now I have two gem raisers in play. One of them's a five, five reach trample. The other one's an eight, eight reach trample. They also have the dirge bat ability as well. Oh no. So when I mutate on either one of them, I can machine gun stuff. (laughs) So left, right, and center, I'm just like mutating stuff on top of them. An opponent then like goes to kill. I then snap it back to my hand, untap two lands and go, yeah, this is cool. Oh, I still have a, a gem raised dirge battered Hydra in play. That's still big and coming at your face. And I'm about to wipe your entire board because after combat, I'm going to be playing back the dirge bat onto a creature or, you know, it's just like I can do play. so much cool yeah. stuff with it. It says ever playful on the box, and it's exactly what it is. So um, Exactly. Oh, man, I'm impressed. I love this. Um, there was one in here that I, I have to bring up because I think you said it in your video too, but I'm, I'm sure part of you just, like, the instinct was overwhelming to just go, oh, Zaxara, expels. Ah, Villainous Wealth, ah, game plan done, <laughs> you know. Uh, well, <laughs> so Villainous wealth, wealth actually comes straight out of the box in this deck. What do you mean? Uh, out of the deck? It's in there though, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. But that's what I mean. Like, oh, it's in, I, it's, sorry, it's in the it's in the package anyway. Yeah, no, totally, yeah, it's totally. in the package anyway. So, but yes, you're right. I saw this list and went, oh, yeah, you just do expels, which is really cool. Um, and and that's the thing. Like, uh, there's been a few great pieces for expels, but yeah, leave them in there because you know what, villainous wealth doesn't have anything particularly to do with Otrimi. However. It is one of the most playful cards ever made. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd say it's completely on flavor. Hard in a hard in the uh, in the the times that we're in. Um, oh, it's yes. hard, but we've, but we've played it and it's fine. Like we can figure it yeah, out. It's fine. I just made we an ex- extra uh, creature zone for Chesh, and it's like all my stuff that's yours essentially. Um, but yeah, you just exactly. have to tell me where to point it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I should read that out anyway. But, Villainous wealth. In case anyone does not know, yeah. this this absolute majestic card. I love it to bits from Khan's originally. It's just a, a big old X spell. Uh, X black, green, blue for a sorcery. Target opponent exiles the top X cards of their library. You may cast any number of spells with converted, converted mana cost, X or less from among them without paying the mana cost. Because it's, it's that type of effect. You don't know what you're going to get, but that's why it's fun. And it's like we say, we can you can lean into it. Like you've got a um, Tassiga deck that, that really kind of loves to play it. Um, and, and that's the kind of direction of the game plan. Zaxara could make a really deck looking a uh, really good deck looking towards it. Um, and Zaxara is one of the, I guess, lieutenants in this deck. So one Saltai, black, green, blue, and legendary creature, Nightmare Hydra, Death Touch, add two uh, mana to your, of any one color to your mana pool. And then whenever you cast a spell with X in its mana cost, create a zero, zero green Hydra creature token, then put X plus one, plus one counters on it. And it's a two, three. So that's very much on that axis. Both are still in the deck, you know, and, and completely fine as a little sub theme and just have some fun with it. But um, yeah, worth noting, that'd be a really, really interesting deck as well. But I think a lot of people mm-hmm. are doing that. So for sure. So um, yeah, um, anything else of the deck you want to bring up at all? Like any other mutate wacky combos you found? 
Uh, not really, but like the way to build this deck. So like, again, the way that I built this particular deck was all based on um, pretty much a budget upgrade. Yeah. Uh, if I wasn't going to do that, if I wanted to do something a little bit different, I would suggest having a look at all of the creatures that are hexproof indestructible. Ooh. Uh, not shroud. Shroud is bad. No, you shroud's bad. Shroud in this deck, you cannot. You can end you know, your. You end your fun train. Exactly, your fun train will be bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that was the thing I was thinking of. It was like, all right, well, if I was going to do this differently than I did, I would probably pull the entire package out. Um, and then I would make the deck into basically a Bogle's Light deck mm. um, so that everything is hexproof, indestructible. Your opponents are going to have hard times dealing with your creatures. Yeah. They need to do, like, non-specific board wipes. Um, there's ways to get around that with, you know, indestructible. Um, it's also a reason that we put Cauldron of Souls into this deck as well because it's like, you know, I'm going to give them all Persist. Um the thing to remember is that if you give persist to your creatures and they die, Ooh. the entire stack is going to come back separated. Yes. So you're going to have an entire army, potentially. It's so weird, isn't sort it? Sort of. They're all split <laughs> apart. <laughs> yeah, all split apart. There's like a weird ruling there, but um, I like getting my entire crew back. That sounds great. Yeah, um, like just you- a protection package insurance. Exactly. If you blink your creatures, they'll all come back separated. It's it's that whole thing. Mm. So that was the rule. Um, yeah, I was like, how does this all work? Because it's a new mechanic, and you know, we know how auras work, but you know, mutate was that, but different. And, yeah. Magnets. How do they work? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Exactly. Well, come over here. Story time. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's a good one too. Like. Uh, you kind of touched on that and might even look at them all later as far as like, is there any one card or two cards you would chuck in if budget was not an issue or is, is it not really a factor? Like as far as it's not a factor. Yeah. You're in a, you're in a fun zone anyway. Like you're not, we're not talking about, you know, uh, adding a Sylvan library or something and go, yeah, cool. Your game plan is going to be awesome. It's really going to help. It's like, you know, it's just a generic good card. Like yeah. it's yeah. Or add a false of wheel and a Sylvan yeah, library. Exactly. And then crush my foes to the shadow realm. So it's, I yeah. make sure that you will die and have an unhappy time. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, is that really going to improve your quality of life? Uh, and, yeah, and, and everyone exactly. else's fun at the table. Ask yourself that essentially. So I, yeah, always a massive fan of, um, uh, you know, kind of sticking towards the budget realm as far as you generally find more creative outcomes anyway. And that was, I remember, I don't know if you listened to, um, listen to the podcast as well, but um, Commander's Brew is something I've listened to for years and they, they're, they're not specifically like budget anymore, but they used to be a $50 budget type cod, uh, podcast or like $50, $100, mm-hmm. can't remember anyway. But what would come out of that was like, yeah, we can't have this, this and this but we've got to really like work sometimes to put these into a budget, but you end up finding these just amazing cards in the, you know, the archives of history and magic that like, Oh wow, nothing better than for uh, someone going, what on earth is that card you just played against me? And it actually did a bit of work. Like it was amazing. So, you know, exactly. preach. Uh, so yeah, that actually, I'm really surprised with that one in a really positive way. I love it. Um, sorry, Otrimi, I, uh, I kind of doubted you, but you know, that actually looks like an absolute, like whale of a time to pilot. So, um, it's such a fun bullet. Speaking of fun, let's go to Mardu. 
Mighty humans, eh? So, uh, fourth off the rank is uh, Ruthless Regiment is the um, the Mardu deck of the set. Uh, we're kind of headed up by where it is she, Jorinda Kudro. Cool, like in an interesting way, has um, is it a grandfather? Anyway, I don't, I don't follow much of the story. I probably should. But yeah, um, the I, other one in the I main... Oh, there is General Kudra of Dranath, which... Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be her father. Yes. Ah, there you go. But I could be wrong, so law people, please feel free to correct yes, me. Yes, exactly. Politely. The one thing I did here with... Uh, um, uh, what is he? General Kudro is is quite reminiscent of um, Otto von Bismarck, is the one. Um interesting history kind of references anyway but yeah general kudro is actually one i looked at for a, a deck on his own so um i don't think it'd be very good it's just humans <laughs> but you know just just seeing if it could be fun but jarina kudro is the one on the box basically the you know the kind of figurehead of the the deck and and the natural mm-hmm. direction but again like we say you don't necessarily necessarily have to build it that way engineer Jarena Kudro is one red, white, black. So Mardu, legendary creature, human soldier, 3-3. Three, three. When Jarena Kudro enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one white human soldier creature token for each time you've cast a commander from the command zone in this game. I kind of don't like that text. Uh, I never do because how many – I mean, command zone did some stats recently on like what your average game will have, you know, as far as how many times you're, you're doing a lot of things, like uh, casting your commander out of the command zone. It's like, well – Stats are uh, very forgiving on doing that many times. Like you might do it once or twice and it's like, it's like great. So maybe comes in as four mana, three, three with a one, one white human soldier creature token. And then the other effect is other humans you control get plus two plus O. So I find this really vanilla as a Tremies taught me, maybe that's not the case in the way it plays out, but I think it probably, <laughs> actually, I think this one probably is. Why also is Tarina, cool. why is Tarina $19? Yeah, who knows? Anyway, anyway, but um, Ooh, hey, I like having a commander that is in those colors that just makes me want to attack with. Yeah, exactly. Creatures. Yeah, I'm already falling asleep. Exactly, and it's like, can we do can do Boris things or Mardu things that aren't necessarily like attacking? Can be cool, doing cool things with it, like messing with it. I think, but if it's just straightforward, just bludgeoning humans against a wall, like yeah, and and just being a lord, really. So some of these the commanders, I mean. You know, people put effort into this. I don't. I don't want to bag too much, but it's like it just. I'll bag it all day. <laughs> but it's like there's some really creative stuff going on in this particular commander set, and like this one's like mighty mm, humans says on the box. That's it. So you've found a different route with this one, and, and <laughs> I don't know if this was a reluctant kind of like as far as nope. I, I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> work on a Mardu deck like this. And, but I mean, there's always cool creative outcomes with everything. So what did you come up with? I didn't want to make this tokens. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's take a minute to discuss a particular token enchantment in white from Armenket, shall we? Yes, that I don't have because yeah, I didn't get it when it was cheaper. Damn it. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that was going to be my point. How much is that particular enchantment Last now? Last I checked, like $15. It's probably like 25 now. Yep. Damn it. <laughs> it's 25 30 bucks now. Yeah. What? Because oh, it's parallel so lives in white. Yeah. Yes, anointed procession is parallel wives lives in white. Just make double tokens. Um, yeah, exactly. For and four mana, is that, it? yeah, yeah, uh, five mana, five mana. I four, think it's five. five. Anyway, not important because anyway, I'm not playing. <laughs> without it, this deck does just looks at it and just goes, "Cool, man!" Like 
you're going to cast your commander maybe three times. So you're going to get maybe three tokens or something. Carrying fear like, of my tokens. Like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> here's my shitty token army. That's not going to do anything. Cause they're all going to be like, maybe slightly bigger. Cause they're attacking for three yeah, instead of exactly. one or five. If you're lucky. No. No, you know what? You know what? A deck like that will still um I've I haven't found the deck to play this card in, but I will some stage and this almost looks like it. If you really want to do that, you play Burn at the Stake. You seen that card? Yep. Yep. <laughs> you just like have a lot of tokens, tap them and then do a lot of damage. It's a good stuff. Um yeah. And that and that was a direction I didn't want to go. No. <laughs> Instead <laughs> It's not that fun. <laughs> Instead, I went the even more boring route oh, that no. actually turned out to be kind of fun. <laughs> okay, okay. Again, the, par- so, the partner alternative, which I'll note on actually very quickly, that <laughs> partners give you another card. Like, inherently, yeah. when you've got two commanders in the command zone, you've got another card in your hand, and that's actually quite powerful, especially in colors that are devoid of card draw, i.e. Mardu. So, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, looking at the deck, I gutted it and rebuilt it from scratch to see what it was doing because it's a human stack and humans do human things. Um, so I had to really pull out the engine have, and the chassis for this one. Pretty much, <laughs> especially when this doesn't have blue, so there's, like, no meddling mage or anything like that, and I'm like, all right, so it's not a human's hate bed deck, so what is it actually trying to do? Mm. Uh, and that's when I saw the underlying theme that was very well hidden in this very deck. Very subtle. And that's aristocrats. Yeah. So surprisingly obvious, but because there's not like a bunch of vampires, you just don't notice mm. until you start reading the other commanders, right? So well, it definitely doesn't say it on Jarena. I mean, yeah, she kind of maybe hints that she wants to die, but, yeah, you know. Sort of. Yeah, not really. So we've got what I like to call Silent Green is people. What? <laughs> Silent Green is people. Ah. Uh, so we're running the the uh, partner of Trin and Silvar. So Trin is at the beginning of your end step. If you attacked this turn, create a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. Uh, this is, of course, a legendary creature human soldier. It's a 3-3 for one white and three colorless mana. Pretty average. I know how boring. It's another attack and then create. So, you know. But at least it's only half. Great. Yeah, at least it's only half the commander. Exactly. But then you look at Silver, and Silver just reads, do a whole bunch of stuff with your aristocrats, and then if you don't kill somebody by burning them out, attack them to the face. Mm. So Silver is a cat nightmare. It is a 4-2 for uh, three colors, a black, and a red uh, with menace. Menace. It's a nightmare cat with menace, so that already says something. Mm. Sacrifice a human. Huh. So already we're looking at aristocrats because we've got sacrifice a human on a five cost stick, right? So most of the four cost payoffs, most of the payoffs are four cost, um, like your blood artists and stuff. So put a plus one, plus one counter on silver. It gains indestructible until end of turn. <laughs> mm. This just screams to me like, You're not all right, this. So what you want to do <laughs> is you want to attack with a creature you then want to sacrifice a human to give Silva indestructible. Uh, then Trin is going to create a token that you can then also sacrifice to Silva if you want. Yeah. And then what if you're just playing your Aristocats pieces, uh, such as your um, 
Let me just find a good one in the Bastion, list. Bastion, I guess. Yeah, I guess Blood Artist. Yeah. Um, whenever a Blood Artist or another creature dies, target player loses one life and you gain one life. Mm. So there's a whole heap of stuff like that. There's even one that does it to everyone, which I think is Falconrath Noble. Flying whenever Falconrath Noble or another oh, creature target. dies. No, that's target as well. There um, is a, Bastion's really good. Um, Sorry? So Bastion, Remember- Bastion of Remembrance is another great uh, piece that would just be printed in Nicoria, and it's, it's, it goes in that kind of package that you usually chuck in a deck, but it's an enchantment, so harder to remove. Two and a black enchantment when Bastion enters the battlefield, uh, create a 1-1 one, one white human soldier creature token. So it even comes with like some fodder. And then when, yeah. whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. I love aristocrats, man. And I, I really love how the fact you even like snuck in aristocats in the, in the definition before. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> um, there's, there's, uh, there's particular, it's not priest forgotten, but, but is it? Is that it one's really good. Creature? I love yeah. that card. Uh, Sir Conrad, obviously. Yep. Um, oh, that is a powerhouse. I've seen so many games end lately with Sir Conrad and just yeah. absolute weapon of a thing. Zulaport Cutthroats there as well does each opponent, I believe, when another creature yep. you control dies. Yes. Um, if uh, but there's a white and black creature. Oh, the new ones. Um, yeah, no, the one, uh, there she is. Cruel Celebrant. Yeah, that's the one I meant. Yeah. So another whenever one. Cruel each Celebrant opponent. or another creature or planeswalker <laughs> yeah. uh, that you control dies, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Um, so this deck was basically just like screaming aristocrats, uh, in a couple of the pieces. And I just decided to accentuate upon that and just build upon that and go, all right, well, if we're going to do this right, like let's, let's just build in a sub theme that is, you know, an aristocrats deck. Mm. So on the top of the deck, you basically look at Silvar and you go, oh, okay. So this is a deck that wants to attack. It wants to sacrifice a human and get indestructible. It's a great blocker if you need to. Um, you're probably just going to attack with it anyway. Mm. If you give it menace, that's fantastic. Um, but the main thing around this deck is just basically going, all right, well, I guess it's just aristocrats. Yeah, exactly. And then just you've got critical mass there that you're going to hit one, two, three of these pieces and and, and just the general it's – a, it's a really fun play um, pattern too. Like I highly recommend any aristocrats kind of style deck for anyone who hasn't played one, but it's so much less about that big – lofty expel or big flashy spell it's it's chipping away at people and, and watching their kind of stress kind of amplify as they get lower and lower in life and you can usually then hold the keys to finishing off you can do that last three damage really easily you know like that kind of stuff it's really i find it's really interesting and flexible um you know and, and a lot of a lot more lines of play than you'd, you'd you'd think you know for sure so um yeah exactly good stuff and i mean it has some really good uh, card gain, some great life gain. So it also plays Crab the Unredeemed from Battle Bond. Oh, yeah. Um, so much forgotten so about and, and Crab. And I know, everyone does. Crab right? and Regna is so awesome. Four colors and one black for a demon. Um, partner with Regna, but we're not playing Regna the Redeemed. Oh, really? So don't worry about it. Nice. Um, one black sacrifice X creatures, target player draws X cards against X life, and then you put X plus one plus one counters on Crab. Yeah, so Krav becomes a bit of a beater too. Why is Krav yeah. not fly? Oh, Krav is not the flying one. No. Krav's a demon with no wings. Regna. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, a demon with no wings. I would totally yeah. throw that into combat and go, oh, oh, oh I, thought, I thought it flew. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, it's funny. I've thrown it into combat multiple times and people have not blocked it. 
And then after dealing yeah. combat damage, I'm like, why? Why yeah, didn't you block that? It's like the art has wings on it. They're not crafts wings. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good times. Far out. So, uh, I mean, generally the name of the game is profiteering of, um, you know, the death of humans. So, you know, a bit of a uh, deep message there. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, you've got, like say, there's plenty of ways in, you know, this, uh, this archetype, especially in colours that actually really need the card advantage and don't usually have access to it. There's plenty of card advantage that does come from um, things dying and, and that kind of thing. And, and you actually find you could probably even get to a, a stage where you've got enough ways to, to draw cards off things dying. You're like, oh, I'm actually you know doing better than the blue player sometimes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I mean, overall, how did it run? Did you enjoy playing this one? Um, it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably the least enjoyable of decks yeah, for true. me to play, to be honest. Um, and it, it's not because, well, I've done this before. Why am I doing this again? But I guess it sort of is. It's just like, it wasn't a letdown, but it was just like, we've seen enough of this before, like where it's kind of like I tap to attack or I just try and burn you out with my creatures. Yeah, exactly. And there's only so much, like there was no really cool trick to this. Um, her her father wasn't originally in this deck, but he's in Ikoria, yeah. and I was like, yeah, flavor I'm going to chuck him in just for flavor yeah. because I had a spare spot. He does care he's about not it. even in there to do anything. Yeah, I mean, he does, <laughs> does sacrifice stuff, I guess. You know, I mean, the, the part of General Kudra I do appreciate. Uh, it says, I mean, he's a lord for one white, black, other uh, human soldier. Other humans you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever a general creature or another human enters the battlefield under your control, exile target card from an opponent's graveyard. That's the bit I actually I think is underrated because not enough people are running graveyard hate. And um, and that's where I'm playing him. Yeah, this can bend points up. And then it says two, sacrifice two humans, destroy target creature with power four or greater. So there's, like, I mean, you've got utility here. You've got reach on, you know, to get rid of some some other creatures if you need to. So, I mean, there's a nice little toolbox there. That's what I was saying before, that probably belongs in a deck that's doing that kind of stuff anyway and actually makes more sense there than the deck of General Kudru himself, maybe. But, you know. Exactly. To each your own, for sure. So, um, well, that's that deck in a, um, in a, in a, in a nutshell. Uh, I, feel, I still think there's a lot more play, and I'm really glad like where you took it anyway, like you didn't, you know, feel like you're just going to go, oh, bash humans, you know, that kind of thing. Use them. Well, that's it. Like, I didn't want to just go with the boring, like, uh, tokens again. Yeah. We've seen tokens. We don't need more on the tokens. Like, we, we can deal with, like, not having another deck based around bloody tokens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, the fifth one we've got here now, to finish it all off, is Arcane, Mail- Arcane Maelstrom. So, the team one, I think this got a lot of people excited, myself included. It's really cool. Um, and it's fronted, it's a team of spells one, and it's fronted by a cool Stegosaurus-looking dude called Calamax, uh, and your your uh, upgrade version of this deck is called Calamax Riding in Cars with Boys. Now, why is <laughs> Calamax Riding in Cars with Boys? Um, so this is, a, a at the very core, this is just a spell stack. Yeah, nice. That's all it is. It's a spell stack. But Calamax only works when Calamax is tapped out, ah. for the most part, to copy the spell, right? So uh, I guess I should start by reading out Calamax. So Calamax is one colorless, one green, one blue, and one red for a legendary elemental dinosaur uh, that is a 4-4. So it's a 4-4-4-4. That's pretty cool. Uh, Whenever you cast your first instant spell each turn, if Calamax is tapped, copy the spell and you can choose new targets for the copy. 
whenever you copy an instant spell, right? Whenever Just you instant. copy an instant spell, put a plus one plus one counter on Calamax. To the max. Mm. Oh, wizards. Mm. Yeah, yeah. My goodness. This is not hard the to make. Potential, <laughs> the potential here to just accidentally infinite combo off, which I've done, is... I didn't mean to, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, but whoops, <laughs> I killed you. I mean, whoops. Oops, everyone's dead. Oops, extra turns, everyone's dead. I'm sorry, did I just hit you in the face for a lot? Shazam. That wasn't my fault. This is this is wild. I'm just looking through now. Instance, you're 23 in the deck. Lands 38. <laughs> there, but yeah, yeah, that's that's a big chunk of instance. And and um, yeah. So, what's your normal play pattern looking like? I mean, first of all, Calamax is really powerful, of course. Yeah. Um, there's a um, there's a lieutenant which we won't really get into because he's not even. Is he here? I don't think he is. But no, he's uh, not. So Zyrus the Writhing Storm is the other right? one that, you know, a lot of people are building, but no, it doesn't fit with it. That's fine. No. Um, another cool team of commander. But, yeah, like we're running a huge amount of instants um, and you just want to. In fact, I think you'll notice that I actually took out all of the other sub Yeah, I'm not seeing any others. Nice. <laughs> it's just Calamax being a big boy riding cars. Yeah. Rush me's there. Rush me's <laughs> super cool. Um, I do appreciate yeah. um, and Ward the Raid Mother too. But they, they fit the, you know, the kind of um, the vibe and, you know, doing a lot of spell stuff. So it's spell stuff and attacking. And I've found like spells decks in the past I've run with like the blue and the red they really benefit from having green in that package. <laughs> like, you know, the mm-hmm. ramp, the, uh, also just some of the, I find some of the green effects draw you more cards than bloody blue does, you know, these days. And I'm looking now, Hunter's yeah. Insight, three mana. <laughs> to, so, um, draw cards when that creature deck, does combat damage. Um, yeah. So with this particular deck, because we know it's, it's based around instant spells, we wanted to maximize instant, instant, uh, for calamaxing it out. Uh, and we wanted to reduce the amount of sorceries if we could, except for bonus round, which yes. is in itself. Oh, oh, uh, spice. Good card. Just a good killer. I was like, where are your sorceries? <laughs> there's so few, there's only six of them. Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Nice. So it's it's based around copying spells, obviously. Uh, but also we chucked in a Genesis Ultimatum. Yeah, I saw that. So <laughs> look at your top five cards. Uh, put any number of permanent cards from among the one of the battlefield and the rest into your hand and then exile it. Uh, the amount of times that I found ways to copy this. Uh, just that's what I was going to ask. It's not an instant, just to, like, but you can still do it. You've got things that uh, <laughs> copy anyway, don't you? Yes. Oh, Melek mm-hmm. does, yeah. That's correct. Ooh. Uh, the kill of the deck is still st- not Star Storm, it's the other one. What's the other one? The one of the decks, right? The kill of the deck. Oh, yes. I mean, Star Storm does each creature. Which one is it? Uh, Comet Storm. That's what it is. Oh, totally. So, oh, yeah. Comet Storm was already in the deck um, because, you know, you can copy it, and which is great. This deck allows you to copy it multiple times. I killed a table by copying this, I think, seven times in a turn. What are you doing? <laughs> and uh, oh, killed my yeah, entire table. I'm finding more and more ways I was to just do like, that now. <laughs> Yeah, I just want you all to die. Yeah. Uh, expansion Explosion, of course, was a chuck in here as well, because on one hand, it burns and draws your cards. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, it copies a spell, 
which is amazing, <laughs> especially when you can copy a copy to copy to copy to copy to copy, and oops, I just went infinite. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the rel thing, isn't it? Like it's uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good times. Because the other thing to remember as well is that when you're uh, looking at um, accidental combos, and I think everyone already knows this, I try and stay away from them. Mm. But sometimes you just go for it because it's hilarious. And it's like, <laughs> the game's oh, going I'll just kill the entire table here yeah. and get this game over and done with. But I generally wait. Um, another thing here is the instant called Hunter's Insight. That's what I was saying. I love this card. Um, I don't have one. <laughs> I need to get one. It's great. This is two colors and a green for an instant. Very relevant. Mm. Choose target creature you control. Whenever that creature deals combat damage to a player or planeswalker this turn, draw that many cards. Have you ever seen a 15-15 Calamax and smack somebody into the face? It's hilarious. How about when it becomes a 16-16? Because as soon as you go into that combat phase and you get an open window and you play Hunter's Insight... It's like in decking territory, draw. 30 cards <laughs> and yes i've done it and yes it was amazing oh i, um, I see a, a place to run natural connection now that makes sense because it's an instant mm-hmm. i was like why well, I, I mean a one more expensive ramp spell but it's an instant i never read that line that makes sense it's an instant yeah <laughs> and and that's that's kind of what i meant about like spells decks being usually like oh they might not be green as such but the green really just helps grow that background and give you the mana and like, yeah, just go to town. Yeah. And that's why I chucked in a copy of fact or fiction as well, yeah. just because fact or fiction is expensive at four mana in this deck, but it's an instant yeah. and it provides a lot of, um, a lot of interaction with your table. Yes. Like your table will actually go, Oh, that's actually kind of really cool. That's why I love the card um, that it, it, it makes. I mean, we were saying a JR from Spell Table last week. Anything that like provokes a conversation is the best. Like yeah. I, I love that to bits, and it's just raw. Even if they play it completely fairly, you know, being four mana, opponent chooses five cards your library. I mean, sorry, reveals five cards your library, and then hey, they have to separate into two piles, and you choose one, and then the other goes into the yard. Playing that completely fairly still nets you, you know, two good cards or three less good cards. You know, it's like great at instant speed. So, yeah. And that's the thing. Like everyone just like, everyone thought that this deck was going to be, um, you know, the, the super size me, the like massive upgrade, like do all this stuff to it. And I proved that like, I put in like an extra 10 cards, yeah. took 10 cards out and was smashing tables all, <laughs> all throughout the, uh, the commander weekend that channel fireball had, uh, then on streams all over the place, both uh, on Commander the Distancing and like MTG Lexicon and stuff. I was just bringing this into people's streams and just wrecking phase. Just because I was like, let's see how this goes in in different pools with different people. Um, that's not my pool that I build for. And yeah, it's just super gross. Uh, being able to like vehicles was like the best that thing was, have done. I was just looking at that dude. I was like, what? Flip is cult. I mean, cultivator's caravan's cool. You know that's great uh, because it's just a mana rock. It's a mana rock, yeah. but it's also a five five for three mana. But looking at Fleet Wheel Cruiser, Heart of Kieran, <laughs> uh, Smuggler's Copter. That's actually quite a good one that people skip over, but it's just good. Mm-hmm. Card draw uh, and Weatherlight. I'm like, what? What are these doing in the deck? 
hang on. And I was like, oh, you you can tap Calamax to jump in the in the car. Yeah. And the whole cut riding in cars with boys. Riding oh, with boys. It says on the box. And like your thumbnail for the tapped out deck is the Cultivator's Big Caravan. Because the uh-huh. Stegosaurus is going to jump in on the horse and ride the caravan. Just just going to jump wow. on that horse and just be like, I'm riding this. I'm riding yeah, this. Yeah, so, I mean, it's almost, you, you can see here, they're not, that's the main synergy. The other, I mean, the vehicles generally do something cool. Um, but, you know, it's the fact that you can tap Calamax if there's no great um, attacks presenting themselves, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Oftentimes, the vehicle often allows a, uh, a piece of evasion anyway, which is really interesting. So, but I was like, Weatherlight, I haven't seen that card in ages. Um, no, I mean, since Dominaria, but yeah. jumping in that, it's like, uh, you go, you know, flying four, five, crew three, that's fine. Um, whenever it deals combat damage to a player, look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a historic card from among them into your hand. So put them rest on the bottom library. Um, and I was like, oh, it's actually, it's not nothing. It's kind of cool. And you you might actually find an artifact or another, you got a few legendaries here too, but you might find your twinning staff. Yeah, now we're talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's it's really interesting and it gives you another access to play on. So, um, yeah, spicy exactly. stuff. This is cool. <laughs> Love it. But yeah, like out of the box, this this deck is fine. Um, it's, it's good. But without a tap enabler, it's, yeah. it's not great. Yep, yep, yep. So the first thing that I looked at with this upgrade was pulling a whole bunch of stuff out and going, we need a way to permanently keep Calamax tap down whenever we need to. Yeah. And the only way we can really do that is vehicles. So outside of like chucking some sort of like shitty enchantment on it, which means yeah. we can never attack with Calamax, which is not the plan. Um, because eventually what you want to do is take control of the table and then force Calamax through your opponent's defenses. And yes, there's ways to do it. Yep. Um, and then just kill somebody with commander damage if you need to. Yeah. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be the star storm. It can be like a number of different things. You can actually just kill them with vehicles. I killed somebody with flying vehicles and they were like, what the hell is this Voltron? Yeah, exactly. Like not meaning like the deck archetype Voltron, but the fact that it's like all of these quote unquote cars and flyers, like smashing people in the face felt like a very like forming a Voltron because then when I'm done with that, then Calamax is untapped with a bunch of counters and, you know, the Voltron robot has come together and <laughs> has, you know, transformed and now it's going to smack you in the face and finish the job. Exactly. It's it's Dino Riders, but Calamax is the pilot. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So, um, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that, that essentially wraps it up. Anything else you want to touch on that or, or broadly about all five? Uh, just broadly, it's really easy for enfranchised players to say, oh, I can easily see what this deck is about. Yes. Um, my advice to new players is to pull the deck apart and have a look at uh, the actual underlying theme of the deck and see how much is in there. Mm. If you go like five cards for something, that's not an underlying theme. You know, that's that's an add-on into the deck and that's not probably what the deck was meant to do. Have a look through the commanders as well. They should give you a fairly good idea of what the deck should be aiming at in one way or another. As you can see from these five decks, we didn't just keep the face commanders on every no, single deck. Exactly. Um, we had a look through and we assessed what the actual commander was doing and how that timed it into the main theme of the deck. In other words, what 15 or more cards in that deck were aimed to do. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll just, the, the only thing I'll add is just, you know, and most importantly, like, 
have a look at what speaks to you, you know, and you can usually make that work essentially. So, um, you know, does that look fun? And, um, you know, you're maybe just like a creature art or something like that. And like, yeah, that looks amazing. I want to build that. So, you know, magic is what you make it. So, um, yeah, for sure. I love it. And it's, it's kind of inspired me again to, um, to brew up a few more and, um, kind of keep a few more of those, those brew projects going along. So no, thanks for that. Chesh is awesome. So as I'll put in the show notes, but people can check out each one of these, um, upgrade videos with uh, visuals and stuff like that about, um, all the, you know, uh, all the details of each deck, including deck lists. Um, and over at where's your, where's your place of residence on YouTube? YouTube.com forward slash Cheshire plays game. Nice. So, um, what I want to wrap up with might keep pretty brief. I've got to go out to get some groceries and we've had, uh, I don't want to keep you up any longer because it's been a long day. <laughs> um, but uh, it wouldn't be an episode if we didn't finish with the entertaining. So um, anything outside of the, uh, the magic sphere that we're kind of getting into, um, I know you've got one. I do. Uh, the Umbrella Academy Season 2 has just landed. Nice. Uh, I just binged it over two days. Uh, if people out there don't know, this is a comic book adaption. Um, so the comic book originally was from Jared Way. You don't, you don't know who that is. No, I was like, a fact check? No, <laughs> sorry. I'm really sorry, but <laughs> you know this is Dark Horse too, how about isn't it? You, how about you fact check who Jared Way Jared, is okay. uh, while I go and talk about this? Because I, I, I'm going to love what you say to this. What's your spelling? Um, so season <laughs> oh, yeah, no, okay. American singer-songwriter? <laughs> Hmm. MCR? Like uh-huh. My Chemical Romance? My Chemical Romance? Ah, yes. Okay, okay, I know now. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't, I mean. Maybe. The dude's a massive nerd. Cool. It's hilarious. Um, so for those that don't know, based on a comic book, it's about a, a, a I guess, a sort of family. Um, they're, they're forced into being a family through genetics in a way, um, but basically an eccentric billionaire um, goes and uh, messes with the DNA of like thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of uh, ladies and like injects them all to make them pregnant or something uh, is the gist of that to give all these kids superpowers. Uh, and then he starts an academy of basically superheroes uh, and it's really good. It's just really good. It's got time travel. Uh, it's got uh, Ellen Page. I saw that. Me. I saw that. Like, it's yeah, just cool. really cool. Respect. Mm. Turns out Jared Way is... Um, and uh, don't watch War for Cybertron because that is just shit. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. No. All right, avoid. Uh, cool. I'm, I'm really keen to check this one out and I'll have to start, of course. But um, again, I, I'm sorry. I had, I had no um, idea of what it was or what it was, you know, that it was... A, a thing and everything, so yeah, I'll, I'll do my duty. That's why you've got me exactly to get me into these things. I should be. Um, you said about time travel, Kate, uh, my partner's been watching Dark, which um, I haven't watched it firsthand, but she was just raving about how incredible that show was um, on Netflix recently. Um, but that's all I can add to that. What I'll add to my uh, my entertaining and, and, and non magic uh, influences this particular week is. All the chats that Chesh and I have had about basketball. Um, <laughs> so Chesh has started a new channel um, and kind of presence as Chesh Breaks where we kind of find something else to do, which is cracking basketball cards. And uh, the general gist of it, I think we kind of touched on very lightly last week about um, you haven't really paid much attention to basketball for the last 20 years, which 
you know, 20 odd. Yeah. And we kind of, we were talking about, yeah, we were talking about other things about how much fun it is and almost like looking at people with, um, you know, uh, envy that when they get to experience something for the first time and, you know, you go, Oh, it's all new again. You know, that's really exciting. And then I find myself living vicariously through um, someone like that. That's why (laughs) my pattern is generally introducing people to things and enjoying the, the, the kind of the journey with them. And then I did not think that that would be the case with NBA and it's really, really exciting. So it's literally just has, you know, you've not really paid attention to it for yeah that long. And, since the 90s and we've got our, I mean, the 90s is still my heyday of NBA and absolutely love it to bits. Um, plenty of basketball cards I collected back then. But then getting into it as basketball, like with basketball cards as the conduit has just been super fun and we even, you know, you cracked a few boxes on, I think it was last Monday. I can't remember which day. Last Monday. Yep. yep. And we're, we're going to do the same uh, tomorrow night. So time of recording. Um that's going to be super fun and also as we go through I kind of just rattle on about what players are doing and as I've seen them over the last few years because I, I said about magic it's second nature for me to always pay attention to what's happening in the NBA and it's it's always a fun thing and um, yeah it's just an exciting time so I think there was an undertone as well of you opening some premium magic product and get paid off in one respect and then not so much in others and you're like wait a second <laughs> Let's have a look at what other games or, you know, hobbies are doing and then seeing the premium, uh, you know, product of, you know, what you get when you open something really good in basketball is incredible. Like it's – there's a lot of crap in there. I know that. And there's a lot of – I hate to say it, but like systems to – or places that go, oh, you can you can get something really cool. You just sign up to this lottery-like system and then you get nothing. It's really weird. And – but – there's there's a really interesting like these days basketball cards and collecting is you know the you're getting the the player's autograph on the card you're getting the player's jersey patch on the card these are not things we saw in the 90s and they're like oh my god this is full-blown memorabilia that's, stuff you know that's not exactly true though is it what do you mean so back in the 90s we did have that there was stuff, a few. but it was so yeah monumentally rare that only just recently in the last couple of weeks, a Jordan Upper Deck SP 101 signature was actually cracked out of a, a single packet over in South Australia. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was absurd. It has been 25 years since the set came out and the one of one signature was only just cracked out of a retail unfathomable. I need to check this out. Actually, I think you yeah you mentioned it during the week. Yeah. so far out. It's ridiculous. Uh, I found it on my my travels through <laughs> trying to find you know basketball boxes at reasonable bloody prices, which isn't going to happen at the moment because of green oh, manufacturers yeah. and the pandemic. They've really doubled down on that too. Is that you know this affects prices and now everything's just you know thousands of dollars basically. So it's it's funny because. The, the production company itself, so Panini, um, are actually the ones price gouging, not resellers or anything like that. So in Magic, usually you see a price change come from uh, the distributor or the point of sale. But in this case, it's literally coming from the company that's producing the cards is setting a price that's way above where the price is, where the payoff for that price is. So you're paying like $1,000 now, you know, $1,000 plus for a hobby box that used to be like $130, (laughs) you know? So that'll come down 
absolutely that'll come down in the in you know the coming months but uh until that time that's why the the focus has shifted a little bit from sealed product uh into myself doing things like mail times uh doing you know flash boxes mm. like mystery boxes basically um and we might even buy some mystery packs here and there uh, which is risky as hell uh, and usually not a good idea. I do not suggest it, um, but we'll, we'll we'll absolutely see. Yeah, I'll, but yeah, it's been nice for me because you know I, it's something different. Yeah, um, different being the, the key that like you're diversifying. And I mean, I always find things like that make the original source fun too. Like, so it makes magic refreshing at the same time. And you know, you've just you, you're kind of diversifying your interests. Exactly. So the explanation I guess I should give is that. I opened a box of uh, Collector's Edition Core 21 or <laughs> M21, whatever you want to call it, uh, and it was a phenomenal box. It was way above where it should have been, and, and I'm happy with that. I'm lucky. Okay, I'm lucky that I was able to afford to do that, um, and I'm I'm lucky in the fact that I cracked such really good stuff. If that was a bad box, though, yeah, that would have like, just been terrible, you know? And there's nothing in magic that's rare enough to keep you buying that product. No. Even if you are a whale, and I'm not a whale, I'm far from it. Mm. Um, which is why I, I'm not sure if I'm going to have a double masters box because I'm trying to balance things at the moment, <laughs> setting up eBay auctions and stuff. Uh, you can find me at chess breaks on eBay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out because if I buy a double masters box, then it's more risky than me even buying into a basketball box. If I buy a Hobby Kings basketball box for $550 that has like, what, eight packs of four cards a pack or something like that, like a ridiculously low amount compared to Magic, there's potential there that I might make my money back or more from a basketball box. When you buy a box of Magic, it doesn't have the exclusivity. It doesn't have the uh, the short prints or the super short prints in it. Um, you're basically buying into what you can find in a regular set. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah. Like there's nothing special about it. There's, there's, It is still just cardboard, which is sometimes a sobering fact. And it's, you know. Hmm. Um, I mean, but it's it's all, I mean, I find it's what it means to you. Like, I'm not technically like collecting basketball cards right now, but... I have at many points in my life. Yeah, exactly. And that's like I, I'm always welcome to that ebb and flow anyway. That I think the thing I'm still keeping is a Seattle Supersonics collection going and I showed some of my great inserts I've collected over the years and all the I blew me away how many like cards I've got that are literally signed by all these players. And, you know, things that are numbered one to ten. I was like, that's cool. I forgot I had this. It's amazing. But just nice again, again as a contrast. Um, but you know, as we outlined last episode with JR, you had a nice. Uh, you kind of got into that discussion point of there could be ways in the in the near future for Magic to kind of look at certain ways to do that and and, and provide some real world exclusivity rather than false exclusivity in a way. You know, like it's you could look at signings and that kind of stuff, which would make it quite special. So, but anyway, listen to that okay. episode, uh, episode four. Um, you know, right at the end, we kind of dive into that a little bit. And I think Chesh has some good ideas. But um, without further ado, I think I think we'll wrap it up there and we'll go along our merry ways. Um, but as as I said, you can um, – I didn't actually say, but where, where can we find Chesh Breaks, Chesh? Oh, yeah, youtube.com forward slash Chesh Breaks uh, at Twitter, at Chesh Breaks, or on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Chesh Breaks. Nice. Uh, 
and I think we've got Card Shark, his name was, uh, another Melbourne dude, um, keen, keen to chat basketball yep. and stuff. I'm really, really excited for that, um, you know, Monday when we catch up. So, um, as I say, I've, I've kind of just piggybacked on this, like this is Cheshire's idea and, you know, <laughs> full on drive. But, you know, <laughs> as long as you'll still have me talking about cards on there, I'm... I mean, I you didn't deter me from doing it. So, you know, obviously it's a good <laughs> I idea. I promote, man. Um, yeah, next thing you know, <laughs> I'll be buying boxes too, especially like the video you said the other day, um, like cracking 91 uh, Skybox. I'm so in for that, you know, that that is memory lane. So we can, I think, and I, mean, I think we can do those. When the price comes down, yeah, we can do things like pack wars, yeah, or you know, we might, we might buy, <laughs> assemble a team, like, oh my god, fund ourselves a box of something and, and see yeah. how where we can I did do that from with it. my brother once actually. And you go, which team would beat which, and it's heaps of fun. We did it with 1990 Skybox, but yeah, I completely forgot about that. You're basically <laughs> playing magic with basketball cards. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's true. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, uh, tune in there if basketball is anything uh, what you're into. Um, if not, whatever, no stress. Um, but you can, finishing up, you can find us at cmdrcrunch.fireside.com. It's our website. Um, on Twitter, at cmdr underscore crunch. And on Instagram, at, at cmdrcrunch. Uh, send us thoughts, uh, feedbacks. Feedbacks, feedback, opinions, uh, anything you want to um, cmdrcrunchpodcast at gmail.com. Now, where can people find you, Chesh? Uh, so you can find me at Cheshire Plays on Twitter, uh, Cheshire Plays Games on YouTube, or Cheshire Plays Games on Twitch. Uh, and if you want to look at those eBay auctions for you magic locks. <laughs> yeah, true, uh, JTMS. Yeah. Uh, if you go to... Uh, what is the extension for eBay? You know what? If you just look up Chesh Breaks on eBay, mm-hmm. uh, you'll find a whole bunch of magic stuff listed there at the moment. Nice, nice. Um, and yeah, you can find me at, at Pass the Jam Sam uh, on the Twitter sphere. Um, but overall, thanks for listening uh, for another week. You've been awesome. And um, yeah, looking forward to uh, chatting to you all next week. Yeah, keep it milky. <laughs> May all your top decks be good ones. <laughs> Take care. Bye. <laughs>